0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the VG Podcast. Now, this is going to be an episode dedicated to James Bond because I saw No Time to Die recently, and I grew up watching James Bond and being the biggest fan of James Bond, and just being just being a super fan, I wanted to take the time to, you know, go an overview of the series, the impact of the series, read some information out of a DK book if anybody remembers those little DK books and this one's dedicated to James Bond and all the little explanations that they give for the different gadgets and so on and so forth so I mean let's I guess let's just jump right in James Bond was a series that started with dr. No back in 1964 if I remember correctly oh 62 sorry 62 correct a correction Dr. No came out in 1962. And it was just another book adaptation. Nobody knew it was going to be like a mega huge media franchise. They were just trying, they found a book, and they felt like it would be a good movie. And so they wrote a script and got it made. And it was, Sean Connery was cast in the role, and people absolutely loved it. It was a it was a very stylish movie, a very... A very um, in an, an entertaining movie, but also like an engaging story and an engaging villain, and so that movie, like it, that's what started the whole like the whole series. But it would take a few more movies before they would have their really really great film because after that, after Doctor No was from Russia with love, and from Russia with love was a movie that I personally appreciate. Um, but it was kind of glanced over a little bit it, it was good but a lot of people were just kind of ho-hum about it while the one that, the movie that came after that was Goldfinger and Goldfinger is just a is the international famous mo- internationally famous movie where even in like um, Hideo Kojima who's a a known creator of video games is a, Was uh, Saw Goldfinger and was it, and it, I think that might be One of his favorite James Bond movies And movies in general is the original Goldfinger And So it, it Goldfinger was the story That actually like got people involved Because it was a great movie And I feel like Goldfinger is the real starting point Of this James Bond Franchise and all the different adventures that he would go on, as he would continue throughout the years. So, in the it, I'll try to um, remember because I've seen every single one of these, but I remember like bits and pieces more fondly than others. So I'll recap the stuff that I remember from Russia with Love. That was where. He had to get a hold of... Well, he was being hunted by this assassin who was training in the beginning of the movie. I distinctly remember that, the training sequence where it looks like it's Sean Connery, but it's not actually Sean Connery, which was a funny little special effect because if you actually like watch like the scene, Sean Connery is the character playing that. But then when the character gets taken out... And they show the quick shot of him getting the mask taken off. It looks nothing like Sean Connery. It looks like a person wearing a mask. So it was a it was a little the this again. This is 1963 when From Russia with Love came out. So you know they had the they had the budget. They did Um, the reason that why some of that doesn't ring because I remember like the train sequence. And I remember it having to do with some kind of um, like some kind of uh, device that uh, is being sought after by the Spectre organization. Again, I with from I I need I do need to watch From Russia with Love for uh, uh, since it's been a while, but I it's one of those where I remember like certain action scenes more than the actual specific plot because a lot of these Bond movies. The villain, it's another variation of trying to take over the world or getting some kind of thing that would cause an international incident or some kind of major global issue, and Bond has to come in to stop it. That's basically most of the Bond movies, except for a few deviations. So, moving on from Russia with Love is Goldfinger. Now, Goldfinger, I mean, this this is... I think the reason why I remember Goldfinger more is because he had... um, the villain had a true motivation for taking on James Bond, and he was he. It's not like he was trying to deliberately take on James Bond directly. He was just one of the people who's after him, and trying to stop his plan to rob Fort Knox and all the gold out of Fort Knox. But the twist is, is that it's he's not actually trying to rob it it's that he's trying to go in there and plant a radioactive device that would cause all the gold us's gold supply to be irradiate um basically be covered in radiation for hundreds of years causing the price of his gold to go up so what's it what seems like what starts off is you know when you if you've never seen the movie it'll start off like oh here's another bond villain trying to you know steal a bunch of gold but it actually turns out no he's not trying to steal the gold he's trying to basically cause the price of his gold to go up almost like a like a sly stock move like it's basically like manipulating the stock market in a very like like criminal way obviously but um anyway goldfinger the, the movie is just so well made there's the scene where he plays golf with goldfinger and goldfinger tries to cheat but bond ends up beating him and that obviously pisses him off. Or the beginning where... Um, um, Goldfinger is trying to cheat at cards. And he... And Bond stops that and causes the girl to be killed by... Pa- be, her being painted in, completely in gold. That That's definitely one of the famous scenes. Or the famous scene where Bond is captured by Goldfinger. And and have the laser basically slowly going up his legs. Again, these aren't, like, full-on reviews of each of these movies. I'm just kind of overcapping and, I guess, saying what I think about each one and going through my memories, essentially. My memories of Bond. I mean, that's the whole thing of this podcast. Anyway, Goldfinger getting the laser up his, uh, up his legs. And it's like, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. That... I mean, that's just, that's famous. I mean, that that line is hugely famous. Hugely. such Such a great word. So, Goldfinger basically set the standard of Bond with Sean Connery in full form as the manly man who doesn't take no shit from nobody. You know, he'll be nice when he needs to be, but he'll also be mean and nasty at other times. And, th- and that's what people were so drawn to with Sean Connery's performance as 007. And then after that, you have Thunderball, which um, features a guy with an eye patch and a, a getaway that has, like, a pool of sharks. And, so, and it, yeah, I, I remember that one being, like, a little silly, but it all, it's also entertaining, like, because they took the time to do all this underwater footage. And the underwater footage is actually really cool and really well done um the movie itself i mean the the villains of the first era of sean connery movies basically up until you only live twice all the bond villains are essentially part of one entity the specter organization who are trying to take over the world and be united with each other and taking over the world and bond essentially takes out one by one each of these villains in all the movies and thunderball I remember the underwater sequences of that movie, but that's about it. And the guy with the eye patch, um, and then you had, and then after that is when you had you only live twice. Oh wait, you only Live... one, two, three. yeah, you only you only live twice, and. Um, that's the one where uh, Bond actually finally gets to meet Ernest Blofeld, the guy who's in charge of uh, uh, the entire organ- the Spectre organization, and that famous performance by Donald Pleasance with the scar over his eye that became spoofed in Austin Powers and all kinds of other media like Saturday Night Live sketches. And that one, I that one I remember um, very um very little from as well only because there it was a lot of um well I I do remember some things Bond having to train in um in Japan where he's like has to learn like certain martial arts and uh, oh yeah there is that really kind of kind of weird cringy part where they disguise Bond as looking Japanese and all they do is just like sort of slant his eyes and mess up his hair a little bit and i thought that was kind of i mean yeah it's definitely a product of the the 60s when it was made 67 is when you only live twice came out and um i i remember that and i remember the final sequence with the like that big that big um um that that big set of of the hidden um I believe it was hidden in a volcano, the hidden fortress of Blofeld. I, I distinctly remember that. But that was one of the... That was one of the kind of... That was when it... Like, Thunderball and You Only Live Twice is when the series started going a little bit more, like, ho-hum. Like, it... I need to stop, I need to stop using the word like. Um. It... It's when it started, the series started becoming more dry and people are wondering like when the series is going to end because when you get up to four or five movies, most people are like, eh, it's not going to be as good as this. It's not going to be as good as this. And I do have the, um, the DK book so I, I can refresh my memory on everything. Okay, so Thunderball... Oh, yeah, D- Domino, that was the Bond girl. Emilio Lago, the pyrical Spectre number two, was proud owner of the luxury lot, a huge house, and a massive ego. End quote. DK James Bond. I'll, I'll, I'll mention here and there when I'm reading off this book. Let's see here. A NATO Vulcan bomber carrying two atomic bombs had crashed in the Caribbean to make a serious situation even more critical. Spectre then informed the British government they had hijacked the plane's cargo. Oh, is that the one with the um them taking off the rocket when it's on top of the airplane flying through the air? Okay, I, I do remember that. And then yep, the sharks, the pool, the sharks. And they have this whole diagram in this DK book about the disco volante of that movie of Thunderball where it's the whole interior of the boat and what it looks like. And I remember as a kid this just being the most fascinating thing ever. Uh, and and then back to you only live twice which is where we're at in the discussion of the bond or the overview of the bond of every single bond movie the blofeld is the biggest um thing to remember this movie you finally meet him and donald pleasance is absolutely fantastic um everything i'm looking at here just doesn't really yeah they're they're launching a hijacked u.s spacecraft they blame the russians and so then now they have to get it back so yeah you only live twice that's when it starts yeah the volcano the the layer in the volcano that's right you only live twice had again a few only like highlight moments when um when, in of goodness besides when the movie the movie itself was kind of You know, back and forth again. I like all the James Bond movies, but some are definitely better than others. And after after Goldfinger, Sean Connery's kind of starts falling into a type almost, like we like it's one that that has been seen before, and and I think that's why Sean Connery was that did step away as James Bond and that's when they went into honor majesty's secret service which is the only one with george lazenby which i won't talk much about that one but that one's a pretty lame movie in many many ways but the big one is that george lazenby is just not that charismatic of a person or as a on-screen personality so i mean it, it just it just doesn't stand out i remember there there's a the there's a there's a ski chase in that, and there's a big the, the big villain fortress at the top of a snowy hill. It's it, it it's it it's definitely on the excess uh, um, side, and apparently the villain is Ernest Blofeld of that one, but the actor changed out. So I, I mean it, it was it was it wasn't as it, for many reasons it wasn't as easy to take Honor Majesty's Secret Service so as se- so seriously. But but I guess it's... I suppose it's more serious than the next one. Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever is... It's not a great Bond movie, but at the same time, it's entertaining nonetheless. It it has James Bond having to go after Ernest Blofeld once once again, and also once again played recast as a different actor and this whole scheme of him pretending to be Willard White who's this big ty- tycoon and basically took over his organization and then got these two um, these two hitmen to go after James Bond through the whole movie and, it, it, and Bond's in Las Vegas that's one big thing that I remember he gets in a big car chase with cops that was funny but that's a that with Diamonds Are Forever. That essentially caps up the official Sean Connery era of James Bond. He did later do Never Say Never Again, but that movie was done by a different company. It was more of an offshoot. Warner Brothers was trying to take advantage of a of a gap in the rights where, um, for a brief period of time, you could make a James Bond movie, and it wasn't like totally exclusive licensed under you know Barbara Broccoli and Eon Productions and I mean nowadays it's like almost every stu- major studio has some involvement in the newest James Bond movie it like no time to die when i saw it was it was like let's see your MGM i think universal pictures and even warner brothers i think maybe like that like there's there's a lot of money in these James Bond movies because of what's happening over the years but Anyway, back to the retrospective. So, after Sean Connery left in Diamonds Are Forever, that's when it transitioned over to the Roger Moore era of, and I'll basically say all of his uh, all of his movies, and then, um, and then talk about each one of them briefly. In Roger Moore's era, you had Live and Let Die, Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, hold on just a moment. Sorry about Hello, everyone. Just as a quick reminder, you can support the show in multiple ways. The first way is Linktree. That's linktr.ee/slash the VG man. That's the link. You can also support the show via Anchor, anchor.fm slash the VG man slash support. And finally, you can also support the show via Patreon.com slash the And on Patreon, you get the exclusive benefit of getting early access to my podcasts. All support is greatly, greatly appreciated, no matter how big or how small. It all goes to support this show. Thank you so much. And now back to it. That brief little break, I my package came from Amazon, and I had to go get that. It was Halloween two in 4K. Can't wait to watch that, and I'll probably I'll probably give my thoughts on that on the next official episode of the podcast. But that that's for then, and this is the James Bond retrospective podcast. Um, so we were at the Roger Moore era, and I was listing off all of his movies from. It started. He started with Live and Let Die, then Man with the Golden Gun, then The Spy Who Loved Me, then Moonraker, then From Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill. Um, live and Let Die is, is one that I personally like a lot. It's one that has a Baron Senemi, who is a, he's he's almost like a, a um, guru, like a spiritual, like a cult guru that has this cult of people like sacrificing people into coffins of snakes and stuff like that, and he's also part of like an underground drug drug operation, like and he also has like face paint and stuff like that. He and and also the ending is the big thing I remember from *Live and Let Die* is the fact that Baron Senemi is still alive and out there somewhere, and it's never it's never followed up upon it's never talked about in bond again i mean i suppose they might have like might have been trying to have him come up as a follow-up villain but i i don't it just doesn't seem like that might have been the case and that's just me specu- speculating but it's one of the only bond movies where the villain is alive in the end and it's it's never really like i mean not, not let me your phrase alive and well like not, not arrested or something like that because specter which came later involves bond capturing instead of killing um but any but anywho leah live and let die has some re- really interesting it, it, it was during the 70s and so that's when it was infused infused with elements of black exploitation, where james bond had to go to downtown um I believe it was New York or Chicago and the scenes of him walking down on the street are like out of a black exploitation movie where you know the the music is is a little funky and he, he, encou- he encounters some people who want to mug him and stuff like that and the um the underground drug operation stemming from like a um like a voodoo trinkets shop it, it's a definitely like a very interesting and a very entertaining movie. Visually and story-wise, um, it's, a, it's a little something different with, bon, with Bond movies. And so after, after Live and Let Die comes The Man with the Golden Gun. And The Man with the Golden Gun is one that I personally have affection for, even though it seems to have not been really well-reviewed or re- well-regarded. Because the big thing that people remember is... The golden gun and um scaramanga who is played by the legendary actor christopher lee and but that final sequence where he's going through that sort of maze trick trick um sideshow thing that's in scaramanga's fortress i just thought that was entertaining i thought that when bond goes to see the sumo match i it, um, i thought that was entertaining when Bond has to do that car chase with, um, with, a Sergeant A.W. Peppa, who's essentially a takeoff of, um, of, uh, uh, Smokey from Smokey and the Bandit. Um, you know, that sort of sheriff who's like, I'll tell you what God dang it, and he is that, you know, chew, like almost like he's chewing, like, like, even when he's not chewing tobacco, it's almost like he's chewing tobacco, like toxins sort of that way. Um, that great stunt, a practical stunt, where they completely flip a car over over a river. I like that. Um, and then, of course, uh, the Golden Gun itself, which is assembled from a cigarette lighter. That was fantastic. I, ju- I just have a lot of affection for Man with the Golden Gun. And I feel like that's one that people should watch if they haven't seen it. And the ne- the... After that came The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. And I talk about both these at the same time because they're almost like a two-parter in the, in the fact that Jaws, the famous villain from the James Bond movies, is those are his two appearances. And he's basically like a recurring villain through it. And The Spy Who Loved Me, I honestly, I, I, the, that one I remember more because uh, uh, that was the one with Barbara Bach as the um, Bond girl, who's now the wife of Ringo Starr, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, she's married to Ringo Starr. Um, yeah, I remember her. She's very attractive. There was... Uh, the, I think the villain has, like, a base underwater. Like, that, that's one that I would have to rewatch because it, I only... I remember very little from that. Moonraker, I definitely... I definitely remember the final... the final sequence where they're up in space. And when jaws chases him i believe in the sky when he skydives yeah i think moonraker is the one where jaws skydives with james bond trying to get him i'm almost certain and that is entertaining so moonraker is definitely better but basically with those two movies jaws is the big thing that remember the big tall guy with the metal mouth and he could basically kill you from biting you which doesn't doesn't fully make sense because like okay it's one thing if he bites you on the neck because obviously there's something there but apparently if he bites you anywhere on your body it's instant death and it's like so wait if he bites me on the arm it wouldn't just sever my arm or something it would just die instantly was it poison again you're not supposed to think about that too much apparently so moving on for your eyes only um this one, this is, when I was a kid, this is one of my, um, least favorite ones, because this one was a bit of a slow burner, um, this one involves trying to get some kind of device that can scramble missiles or something like that, and there, it's, it take it takes place in, like, a ski town in, in Europe, I believe, and there's some, uh, there's some really funny dialogue with Roger Moore and this little girl who's trying to say, not the, not, not like little girl, but, like, like teenage girl trying to seduce James Bond and Bond and Roger Moore is just looking like what the hell like like that that scene is really funny when um the the i i I even remember a couple lines of dialogue there's um um she the girl's like wanting James Bond to come to bed with her but he's like you know I don't uh, you know I don't want to do that because I don't think your father would approve and she's like oh him he thinks I'm still a virgin and then he just has this big eyed look he's like okay well why don't you get your clothes on and we'll we'll go get an ice cream I don't know why but that line always cracks me up whenever he says it because he's delivered it like he has he has this look on his face like what the fuck is she talking about (laughs) oh man I love that part but yeah, that that one's fairly entertaining though. It, that one's definitely fun. I, I I gave it a lot of crap back in the day, but you know, I honestly wouldn't give it the same crap now. I would give Octopussy some cra- crap, but I honestly don't even remember that movie besides the horrible final scene where Bond has to disguise himself as a clown in order to get to this get to the center of this like carnival to stop a bomb from going off and killing a bunch of like world leaders or something. That one was uber uber silly. That like that one was, that one was too silly. It was just, it uh, it it. Roger Moore's movies were always kind of silly, funny, but that was when it was stepping too far into, into that territory. Then after Octopussy, you have A View to a Kill, which is memorable for sure because, even though the movie is very silly. And it's not exactly that great of a movie because you can tell Roger Moore is much older. But Christopher Walken as the villain, um, uh, Max Zorin, and you have uh, Mayday, who is is accomplice, and the very uh, two characters who are very distinctive and memorable. And you have this whole plot to take down the dam to to flood it was like flood San Francisco which is the leading maker of of chip, of microchips and one and basically causes the, the the microchip market to be like to to be crippled essentially it Again, it's a bit of a silly plot because, like, the whole basis is that the the people the, the people who are in like um, Silicon Valley that's it Silicon Valley the people who are in Silicon Valley are the ones who are buying computer chips. He'd be the one who would want to sell computer chips to once this shortage happens, and so he can sell his computer chips to them. So why would he flood them? It's it's again it's a question that you're not supposed to ask if from a movie like this, but it's one that if you think really hard about it, you're like, wait, what? Why is he doing that? But it's more memorable because of those two actors, uh, those two villains, I'd say rather, and the final sequence where they're on the um, on the Golden Gate Bridge, and. You know they're hanging off, and you know, oh, is he gonna fall off into the blue screen that's behind him? Um, that's that's the last one of Roger Moore's era, and that one was, and that that one was silly, definitely a bit a bit too much on the sillier side. Um, ne- next is the Timothy Dalton era of Bond movies: the Living Daylights and License to Kill. The Living Daylights is another one of those okay ones. Um I remember a few scenes like the um the woman who has the cello um, who plays the cello um and I think and it also had that catchy tune from Aha um as the as the bond opening, but it was the Timothy Dalton Bond movies are not, they're not cursed, but they're doomed because everybody wanted Pierce Brosnan. Everybody, It, it was like how nowadays, how nowadays everybody was talking about Idris Elba for a while. That absolutely has to be the next choice for James Bond. Back then, everybody's choice for James Bond was Pierce Brosnan, who was on this TV show Remington Steel, and everybody's like, oh, he should be Bond, he should be Bond. And they wanted to get him for for the Living Daylights, but they couldn't get him, and so they got Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton was ho hum about doing it, but hey, you know, a gig's a gig, and he did it, and you know that was going to be his only one. But um, when the when Remington Steel um, when the contract got extended for Remington Steel for another season, um, they couldn't get. Pierce Brosnan for the movie again, so they once again went to Timothy Dalton, and Timothy Dalton was even more like ho hum about doing it, and I think he only did it under the guise that it would be his last one because it because it like he was starting to feel it, and everybody just sort of treated him like he was the transitionary Bond. He's just basically holding the torch for for until Pierce Brosnan can grab it, um, and I feel like. That's not fully fair to the movies themselves because *The Living Daylights* is okay, but *License to Kill* is I feel like an underrated Bond movie. That one is one of the few times where Bond has something personal happen happen to him. Like the only other time we had saw some Bond something really personal happen to Bond was *Honor* Majesty's Secret Service at the ending where Bond's getting married and then his wife is killed by people who are driving who are driving by trying to kill him and that's about one of the only times that there's been like personal stories with Bond in that era. And so License to Kill having him losing his license to kill hence the name and having to go renegade to avenge his friend who was uh, who was had his wedding and shot up because of this because he busted this drug lord and the and it's a it's a very raw and um much more down-to-earth james bond movie than you get before there's this great final chase with this big oil tanker at the end that's really really good um and it and it also has some pretty brutal kills and this is actually the first one of the james bond pictures to be rated pg-13 as well as um 14A in Canada and um, 13 in um, in, uh, French, uh, in French rating because it was, it had some brutal kills and it was just around the time when the PG-13 rating became an official thing after Steven Spielberg pitched it to the MPAA. But then after License to Kill, you get to the era that I grew up in. My because the all the other Bond movies I had seen Because I had rented VHS tapes from the library Or rented the VHS or the DVDs from Blockbuster back in the day Just so I could watch all of them bit by bit by bit by bit by bit and But I grew up fully into the Pierce Brosnan era Because I was a big gamer and I played GoldenEye And GoldenEye is how I made that step into into absolutely loving james bond and so his era consists of four movies goldeneye tomorrow never dies the world is not enough and die another day and goldeneye i definitely remember that one the the villain was sean bean who played 006 who was secretly a cossack who and basically wants to take over the satellite that can cause an emp to happen anywhere and then while the emp is happening he wants to rob the banks of london and basically take all the money and J- and pierce Brosnan is james bond is it's one of the his best performance it look he looks committed to the role he looks serious when he's just standing there holding the silence pistol you believe that he is james bond some great action sequences in that movie including the a train sequence where they have uh, two trains hitting each other head on that was that was a great scene you have the the scene at the end on the massive antenna ray in cuba and that final fight that there's just so much good in goldeneye i mean absolutely watch that one it's definitely one of the high points of james bond pictures um The next one, Tomorrow Never Dies, is one that I have... It's another one where I have personal affection for, but it seems like not a lot of other people do. This one involves Elliot Carver, who is a media mogul who essentially wants to create World War III so that he can be the first exclusive person to break the story. He wants to control it be basically being controlled from the sidelines while giving pre while giving himself free press coverage and exclusive stories it's definitely more on the satirical side as far as villains go he he's basically trying to start a war for ratings as bond says it in the in the movie and i like that satirical um that satirical um approach and i like the uh Bond Girl Michelle uh, Yo, who he teams up with, a, a Chinese woman who's also an agent trying to take down Elliot Carver. Um, I thought she was really good. The sequence where they jump out of the building, the media building is fantastic. I love that. Um, the um, final sequence in the uh, it's not a submarine. It's like this weird invisible like stealth ship that that was really good um and that that's one that i personally like a lot another one i personally like a lot the one that came after that the world is not enough um that one involves a um involves electric king who is who is a daughter of royalty who was kidnapped by a guy for ransom but then let go. But she ends up being secretly being having Stockholm syndrome and falling in love with the bad guy who's Renard, who's who's basically trying to cause a uh, nuclear uh, cause a nuclear meltdown. If that there's some definite entertainment in that with the under with the submarine sequence where they're like underwater. That was really cool. Um, I I, I remember like the locations of that. They got they go to like the. De- different areas in the world and there's all kinds of unique architecture and you also have sophie merceau as the bad bond girl and then you have denise richards as the good bond girl yeah there's definitely a lot to like in the world's not enough very entertaining very good bond movie i can't i can't like those like the three the first three pierce brosnan ones are just great the fourth one though Is not so good. When I when the fourth one, Die Another Day, is the first James Bond movie I actually saw in the theater, because I was really young. I I was born in 1992, so I I wasn't able to go to see a Bond picture at seven, you know, at that time, you know, at seven years old. But when there when I saw that there's a new Bond picture coming out in 2002, I was like, oh man, I really want to go. I really want to go. And so my parents took me, and I was, let's see here, 2002, so I was 10. And so I was 10 years old, and that definitely had left an impression on me. And I was just so wrapped up in the movie that I, I, I mean, I definitely chuckled when Bond started surfing on water with the parachutes, and that looked very fakey and silly. But at the same time, Halle Berry as a Bond girl You have the villain who undergoes like a face transplant surgery and turns him into a completely different actor. Um, You have the guy who has the diamonds permanently stuck in his face. Um, You have that whole ice fortress thing and the whole villain's plot to basically get this like laser from space that uses the sun's light as a weapon to use against people, but also a way to help people and be able to grow crops you know, all around the year instead of Having to wait out the winter, right? Yeah, that again the that one's a bit more of a messy one when it comes to the villain and their motivation. So there's a a few entertaining parts, but overall, it's a really cheesy Bond movie and not not the best send off for Pierce Brosnan. But you know, it was one more movie he got to do four. You know that. what, What there's something that can be said for that, and so after four years. After Die Another Day comes Casino Royale. Also one that I saw in the theater. This, I mean, Casino Royale, I'll just go ahead and say it. It's one of the best James Bond movies. Like from the James Bond himself to the 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 villain, Le Chief, the to the whole gimmick behind the Texas Hold'em game and, um, and Casino Royale in Montenegro to... Um, to the Bond girl um, Eva Green uh, playing the character Vesper Lynn. Um, just everything about that movie is just well done and the the action sequences are amazing and visceral from the opening one with the construction site to the um, to the uh, to the final one. it's it's just, Every part of Casino Royale is good. It, it, like I, I could just keep going on and say, you know, this scene, this scene. But basically, see Casino Royale. That's the fantastic one. Um, so going on to the next one, um, this is one that I... This is probably the only Bond picture that I've only seen once. And I only saw it once in the theater back when it came out. I haven't watched it since then. And at some point, I'll try to re-watch it and give it another chance but Quantum of Solace, I just didn't, I just, I don't, I don't know what it was. That movie just sort of, it was a big meh. It it was the only time I'd really been disappointed by a Bond picture. It did, it felt like a messy story that didn't fully make sense. I didn't fully get it. You know, there's some, you know, you know, um, you know the bond girl in that movie is very attractive but i i couldn't even tell you what the whole plot's about instead it's like it involves oil or something like that but that's all i can really say because i barely remember all i remember is the ending which is basically sort of like more of an epilogue to casino royale than it is a conclusion to quantum of salas but you know that that one you know we'll just forget about that one skip it move on next one though is really really good and one that i really like skyfall where the villain is played by javier bardem and he has a personal grudge against m and he and he's going to get even one way or another this one's really good the last official james bond movie for judy dench she has a brief appearance inspector but um after that but other uh, other than that this is her judy dench's last outing as m from when she started being M in in Goldeneye back in 1995, um, this is a great send-off for her character. This is uh, also a great Bond picture with the stuff like the interrogation scene where he had where he pulls out his teeth. And he's like, "This is what cyanide does to you." Or that final scene where Bond it, it, Bond basically he, he must have watched the movie Hard Target recently, where he got the idea of hey. Let's go. Let's go to somewhere where they can't bug it. They can't. There's no way they can have any kind of advantage. And so Bond ha, Bond goes with his childhood home, which was an orphanage that has long since been abandoned. And he goes there because he knows that nobody can, nobody would have bugged it. Nobody would have thought that he would do that. And so he and M just chill there and wait for the enemies to come to them, so they have the advantage. Great, a great final sequence. A fantastic final sequence, I might add. Um, Skyfall definitely very dope. And and then we get to Spectre. Spectre, I, I I definitely I've seen it like I've seen it once. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it in theater because I was see I w- at that time I was dealing with um stomach issues. I eventually got the gallbladder my gallbladder removed. And so at that time I was dealing with that and so I just didn't get a chance to see it in theaters unfortunately. Um, specter is good it, it was it was one of the ones that i remember just going like you know this is good but at the same time it's kind of you know question mark but there is good parts don't get me wrong it's just um it's so it's the it's retreading the specter organization thing from the uh sean connery movies where all the villains in the previous movies were all connected to the secret organization that was trying to influence the world and stuff even though you know the chief from casino royale he was just trying to get a lot of money from a poker game but i guess he's connected to international terrorists and that kind of thing because he's connected to this mr white guy who was in casino royale and that sets up what happens in casino royale anyway um specter i like i distinctly remember that fantastic opening sequence where it's the dia dia de Muertos celebration in mexico city that was just great, where the helicopter is, you know, pulling through the air, and you know, the, it's flinging upside down, Bond walking on the side of a ledge, which, look, he really looked like he was walking on the side of the edge, which, they talk about a risk. Um, that that was really good. Um, uh, the villain, um, Christoph Waltz playing, playing Ernest Blofeld, the head of the Spectre organization, I mean, he he's just such a good actor. He, even when he's given, I mean, he's essentially doing similar to what Donald Pleasance was doing back in *You Only Live Twice*, but doing his new modern version of it. is good, and that he's good as that character. I wish there was a little bit more of him in the in the picture, in the movie itself. We do get a little bit more of him in *No Time to Die*, which I'm about to get to, but at, we overall we get the um we get the amazing opening sequence and then we have a great performance of christoph waltz as ernest blofeld and one of the few bond villains that doesn't get killed he gets captured at the end which sets up him being in no time to die which after all that talking and all that rambling about all the different bond movies i'm now here now time for the review of no time to die And I I just need a break, and I'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the show so far. I just want to drop in a quick reminder that you can now buy merchandise to support the show. All you got to do is go to teespring.com slash the VG dash merch. That's teespring.com slash the VG dash merch. I currently have a t-shirt on there now and I'll be adding more merchandise in the future. So feel free to go to that website, check it out, maybe get yourself a shirt and support the show. Thank you so much. And now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Now, no time to die. Um, I'm going to keep this review spoiler-free because I debated on whether or not to have a spoiler section in this, but I, I think I might have that as like a future segment because the movie isn't even a week old. It's just about a week old when when this is uploaded. But I don't want to go into spoilers because I feel like people should be taken along the ride for themselves. But in essentially it is not a perfect bond movie but it is a really almost perfect send-off for the character at least in my opinion the internet's a bit divided about how this one concludes and i can understand with what they do it can be very devi- divisive divisive ugh, sorry um so the, what, the movie is the last outing from Daniel Craig um, and then they're going to start casting for a new James Bond next year and there's already the internet's already talking about who they're going to cast next but um, I just like the Daniel Craig era of movies is one that I not only grew up in I was able to appreciate I mean yeah they weren't all perfect Quantum of Solace wasn't very good and Spectre was okay but Skyfall and Casino Royale were really good. Um, I would put this one closer to Casino Royale and Skyfall than I do the uh, Spectre and Quantum of Solace, um, but it's definitely imperfect. The issue with No Time to Die is essentially the middle part of the movie. The middle part of the movie has a, ju- a jumbling of subplots, and some of them are interesting and in work, and other ones are kind of like, what's the point of that scene? like there's a scene where they go and they go to Q's house unexpected because they need his help finding a piece of information and you know he's he's a little upset with them because he's about he's about to have his boyfriend over for dinner and they interrupted him and it's it's this like few minute scene that's just like okay that was literally just to get this little piece of information I don't I don't like it, it there's certain parts where it's like little little scenes that I don't necessarily feel like need to be in there they're just like little detours like um the sequence in, involving the secret meeting of the specter organization that that's all I'll say is it's well done the action sequence is well done but the whole twist uh, the whole twisty-do thing that they do with what what happens is a, a little strange and I'm still trying to make sense of it in my head but again this is the spoiler free section so I'm not going to go into that overall I think it's a very satisfying conclusion to these series of movies that started back in 1962 I mean think about that we're near we're nearing 60 years of J- of James Bond pictures and I mean, what better series c- can you really have than this? I mean, the movies, I mean, not all of them are great. Some of them are silly, but they are have this consistent quality to them that I don't think will be quite matched. You know, there aren't many series that have this sort of people wanting... One of the few series where people want to see, people are excited to see the 24th or 25th movie in the franchise, you know? It's one that has had consistent quality through the years to make them at least entertaining. Because, you know, I've skimmed over and talked about and said that some are better than others. And I've criticized some of the earlier ones and stuff. But, I, I mean, almost all of these movies I could re-watch any day of the week and be entertained by. Because they just have that quality, that fine line between action, thriller, suspense. Where there's some th- thriller elements there's some action scenes that are really well choreographed and there's some light comedic touches and it's it's a series that will definitely remain in my heart for a long time and having it be able to at least cap off with somewhat of an ending is just it's it's really nice not a lot of the other James Bond actors got an ending you know they just they got another one you know pierce brosnan Die Another Day wasn't really that movie wasn't really like a oh this is a final James Bond it's just oh this is another James Bond movie. This one feels like oh no this is the final James Bond of this entire of this era, this long era of of James Bond pictures and I and I feel like No Time to Die is a really good send off. I think Rami Malek when the villain when he's on screen, you know, he does well. I like the cameo, the scene with the cameo appearance from uh, Ernest Blofeld, played once again by Christoph Waltz. Uh, there's a lot to like in the movie and a lot to kind of question, but I feel like it sends the series. It it, it it's an it feels like a cap off to the series of movies that has been going on for so long, and in that way, it feels satisfying. It it's just. It's just crazy to me that we've reached this point where we're at a definitive conclusion for these films. We, Through all the eras, through all the bonds, through Sean Connery, to George Lazenby, to Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, to Pierce Brosnan, to Daniel Craig, so many eras and so many different bonds, and yet so many people have the character in their hearts and they will for a long time like me you know not everybody is a super fan of James Bond like me not everybody can recite all the James Bond movies by name off the top of their heads but people do have an appreciation for these films and that sort of comforting big blockbuster quality that not only are you going to get a big blockbuster but it's also going to be well written well done and entertaining It's not going to be like a Fast and Furious movie where it feels cobbled together and messy. It feels like even in the messier parts of No Time to Die, it's still more composed than, you know, some of the other big blockbuster franchises that are out today. And and I just... I wonder if there's going to be a series that's going to be like this ever again um whatever the new direction is that the series goes in they i i have hopes i have high hopes that they go to a good place in the future but i do wonder if the character you know maybe should just be uh, be uh, you know just let the character be for a little while just you know maybe not have a new James Bond character right away not immediately have an actor playing James Bond again you know maybe go and focus on another agent part of MI6 you know there the the 00s go from 1 to 9 it's not just 007 and so i feel like there's potential in do, in doing something with that where you can create a new character that people will like and people uh, and gravitate towards and the um, there's a character LaShawna Lynch who has the 007 uh, moniker in the in No Time to Die, and I feel like she uh, a character about her would be a interesting direction. You know, having her being an agent of MI6 and having you know trying maybe if she can have her for own franchise of movies because in No Time to Die she showed that she's like Daniel Craig in the fact she'll do enough of the stunts to make them look good because Daniel Craig doesn't do every single stunt in his movies but when it's like a major like fist fight or gunfight or whatever he tries to be in there as much as possible because that helps the audience be connected to what's going on and it since she's willing to do action sequences i think that that would be a perfect way to send the character into somewhere good and somewhere new and in the meantime they can start looking at actors to potentially play james bond and you know see and see what that where that goes from there. Hopefully, fingers crossed. It's a fresh face actor that nobody has seen before, but yet people will buy as James Bond. I don't have any acting choices. I'm not exactly the guy to come to when it comes to picking actors, but I feel like a fresh face would be great for Bond. And I guess that. Wraps up the episode. Is there anything else I want to cover? Um, With future blockbusters, I hope they take notes from the James Bond franchise and how consistent the quality of the pictures are. I hope people will listen to that, I hope people will see that, and I hope it influences blockbusters in the future, not just the James Bond franchise, but future action films that may want to try to be a franchise, you know, giving it the consistent quality that we expect that we want from a front want from a movie, and would lead to a potential franchise or a potential potential future series. Okay, that wraps up this special episode. Thank you everybody for tuning in to my long-winded rambling about James Bond, but I wanted to you know talk about the legacy of the character that had an influence on me in my child in my childhood I always wanted to be James Bond I remember when I was a kid my dad he we were watching a scene from the world is not enough where uh, Bond is just drinking with Judy Dench M and she gives him a drink and he says thank you and my dad says you see he says thank you, and he's very gentlemanly, and that's what you need to start being. You know, you start be, like saying thank you and please and being appreciative because you know when you're a kid, getting a kid to start saying thank you and please and stuff is all, is almost impossible. But when he told me that, suddenly I started saying thank you and please and appreciate it and my bad and started thinking about, you know, uh, started being considerate more of other people. And, and just through James Bond, I, I learned that life lesson. You know, I also learned the life lesson of keeping your composure from James Bond. Bond would never act out unless he needed to act out, unless he absolutely had to, and it, the world was on the line. Otherwise, he would be calm, he would be composed, he would evaluate the situation, and he would act. And I just admire those qualities. I admired those qualities since I was a kid. Since I was five, six, seven, when I first started watching the earlier Bond movies, it I feel like those, it, I feel like qualities like that, and I feel like there's the potential for characters like that in the future. Hollywood just needs to write them. You know, they're not going to be perfect like a James Bond, but you know, a new character could be really cool. And one that could have, you know, that sort of charming quality, that makes it that makes you want to step up, like it, step up your game as a man or a woman. Just like you know, just like you know, do, you know, take shit, don't take no shit, and get shit done. Essentially, you know, good that go-getting attitude, and that that attitude is admirable, and and part of why I was attracted to the character, and one of the reasons why I think people have been attracted for the character for nearly sixty years. Okay, I'm, I've, whew, I've been talking for a while. I'm going to wrap this episode. Once again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'll have a regular episode in a few weeks where I'll have other re- movie reviews, including one for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Oh boy, what do I have to say about that one? But until then, thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you guys on the next one.